Welcome to Pod at the Montecito, the world's premier podcast discussing the hit NBC television show Las Vegas. I'm one of your hosts, Judson Clark. And I'm your other host, Eddie McCarthy. Judson, we're back. We are. Happy New Year, my man. Hey, same to you. Welcome to 2022. Yeah, I mean, it so far looks a lot like 2021, but it's early still. I, Lord willing, it's we still got time to get out of the spiral. So roll wings level, pull back gently on the stick and add some power. We can we can come out of this nosedive, but we got work to do. All right. Our loyal listeners, assuming that they stuck with us during the holiday hiatus, should be well prepared for 2022 because they got another marathon. Yeah. Between two different marathons, all five seasons have aired on television within the last eh, month and a half, we'll call it. So hopefully you... uh, Pack those DVRs, filled up your TiVos, and you're ready to uh, watch along. It was very weird to me that they skipped season one and then circled back and got it. Yeah, you'd think they would just leave five off and come back for it, not the first season. Maybe whoever's in charge of programming the marathon also has been watching our show, and they're like, ah, we don't need season one. But they're, they're still a little bit behind, so like, better run season two. That makes sense. Yeah. Figure everybody's gotten through season one by now. Let's catch up. I'd, I'd buy that. I mean, what, what else could it be? I mean, I honestly cannot make up a reason for skipping it, so I got nothing else. So that's your Mike Cannon cannon blast. It's real. We've got a real banger today. So I think without further ado, we should jump on into this. I, I have said before and will say again, this is a top fiver all time for me. So let's go, baby. It's season three, episode seven. Everything old is you again. As they often say. So often. Chief of the watch on the one MC. Dive, dive. We start with a patented Aaron Sorkin casino walk and talk between Mike and Danny. Bemoaning a couple of criminals getting off on technicalities. But the important thing here is confirming that Ed has quit and at least thus far stayed quit. That was not a fever dream. He gone. Yeah, they the guys are lamenting that they keep catching these assholes. And yet either the cops let him go or here Kathy, the lawyer, is being a shitheel corporate lawyer and letting people off. Fucking Kathy. Because. No photograph signs were not prominently placed enough to keep dudes from skeezily taking cabana pics or something, which I don't think you need a no photography sign for that. But maybe that's just in Texas. Also, in this era, I think mostly because they were terrified of walking computers in our pockets. You couldn't take pictures or phone calls at a dice table or a card table. There was no signs. They were just like, yo, don't fucking do that. Yeah, if you so much as pulled your phone out, you had three people yelling at you within five seconds. To the point where they like inadvertently deputized us as like fellow players. We'd see somebody reach like, oh, man, no, 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 you can't do that. You're going to get in trouble. They'll bring the whole game to a screeching halt. Don't slow up the game, man. We got we got fucking cards to see. Just step back. It'll be okay. Just step back. I'll play your hand. I'll play it better than you will. But you just step back. When you have the drunk frat bro at 3 a.m. who's trying to text the click clack hooker cards that he just got from outside <laughs> thinking it's a real woman and you're like bro the they're gonna bring the to- girls to me direct to me 
Right, but you can't fuck them on the table either. So just one step, my guy. That's all I'm asking. It's Amazon Fresh, but for strippers. Come on, man. Man, we're we've got to be close to Jeff Bezos getting into human trafficking, right? Uh, I think look behind you. If I had to guess, womp womp. Oh, I meant sending people to space. That's that's the human traffic I was referring. I <laughs> good safe wink. <laughs> That that should clear us with the Amazon lawyers. Yeah, they're fine. What you think? Fucking Kathy's coming after us, fucker. I I mean, Amazon probably owns Anchor by now, right? <laughs> yeah, they probably own us by now. I don't just mean our podcast. I mean literally us. At this point, all right, that's fine. I can only read so many EULAs in terms and conditions. Yeah, I'm. Am I still getting free next day delivery? Then all right, we're cool. Back to the episode. Danny has bought a picture at a old collectibles thing. He went fucking antiquing in the conference room. Purely for decorative value, perhaps it's worth $25. It is a cool picture, though. It is signage from outside the Jubilee, a fictitious old Vegas casino that was around in the 60s that, like the Montecito after it, was built on airport property because it's right where the Montecito stands today. And while they're talking about the good old days, Mike unironically asks, So what do you think? We were born 40 years too late? And look, I guess we're starting 2022 with some virtue signaling, but come the fuck on. Mike's going to pine for the good old days of the 60s? I, I Especially given a scene that we are going to get, which is quickly going to remind Mike why maybe you don't want to go back to the 60s, my guy. Holy shit. Look, this is an incredibly fun episode, but there are going to be aspects to it that do not hold up particularly well. And I want to say that I don't feel like I'm in a position to talk about the myriad ways in which the good old days weren't and how this episode fails to capture it. I would note this is not an attempt on our part to say, hey, we're a bunch of relatively young white guys. We don't need to know history, but instead that maybe we're not the ones to talk to you about it. Yeah, probably a fair disclaimer there. And look, this is an entertainment podcast about an entertaining television show. So rather than do a bad job covering history, We'll do a bad job covering this television show. The promise we made is the promise we will keep. So we won't harp on this too much. Suffice it to say, the good old days were not for very many reasons. We are happy to be educated about that. That's totally fair game. But we are not going to proselytize on it because this is a hell of an episode. And we all know Mike is not a fan of the 60s. And James LeSure read the script and was like, are you fucking kidding me? You want me to say this? How much am I making an episode? Oh, I get to gr- I get to grow a creepy pencil mustache. Fuck it. I'm in. <laughs> the the wig department definitely getting their money's worth this episode. But Judson, let's do that time warp again. We're going to the fucking 60s. Danny, Mike and Big Ed pull up in a convertible outside the Jubilee. I did not like modern day Big Ed goatee, but I think I love 1960s Big Ed mustache? I hated 1960s Big Ed mustache. I think it's a good look for him. I also really, really love that you've got Danny and Mike in in era-appropriate attire, whereas James Caan just picked one of the suits out of his normal wardrobe and looks like he always does, just with the addition of the creepy-ass itty-bitty-bitty-bitty mustache. It was not nearly as itty-bitty-bitty as Mike's. And for that reason... I think Big Ed's mustache was superior. Hmm. I I guess I can give you that. For some reason, Mike's combined with the new hairdo 
really just put it over the top for me and was just a hilarious look that made me love it. I think Mike definitely had the better overall package, but just in isolation, Big Ed's mustache and also Big Ed's goatee is terrible, like full stop horrible. And the mustache to me is at least passable. True. Okay. I mean, it's stack rank. We have (laughs) well-established great fake mustache from season one with the creepy senator. As last then place, I'll, I agree. I'll give you, no, that's that is number one with a bullet, as as, as, as the decided worst. by our fine listeners. Number one, the worst. Then, then I'll give you Ed. Then Mike. And the goatee is number two, the worst. The, and the goatee is dead last. How horrible! I, I is this what it feels like to want to quit your own podcast when I keep doing it to you? Because yeah, pretty much. That's I think that's the feeling. It's like right I hate here. this. I, yeah, I hate this. Yeah, it sucks. It's also right? like in my chest. Not like mm. scary chest tightness, but like, like you got a burp that you just can't yeah. get out, like that air pocket there. Yeah, like rage might just explode out from my sternum. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, well, I'll I'll, I'll remember that when I say to two later. A given. They split up. Mike and Danny hit the casino floor. And what do you know about the twist? Uh, I mean, it's a very simple dance move made famous by a song by Chubby Checker. Are you sure it's really simple? I I thought it was really simple. However, <laughs> in the weirdest running gag of this episode, Danny is going to just be flummoxed by it. It's honest to God, like he's being asked to twerk. Like, this is not, I can twist. This is not hard. I, everyone can. It's, it's extremely easy, but we do get a very chubby checker himself. Well, not himself now, but allegedly chubby checker is live performing inside of the Jubilee. And Mike's loving it. He's doing the twist. People all over doing the twist. Danny's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And Mike starts to show him, and Danny's like, no, no, no. Guys don't show other guys how to dance. And for some reason, the delivery of that line killed me. It is so bizarre, especially because this is the second time that Mike has showed another dude how to dance. Season one, outside the gift shop. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think if there was another one. And he stopped a dude whose head fucking beats by Drake hands on. And it was like, what are you playing? And then magically everyone could hear the music. A bit that will return, actually. I, I believe the writer's room was thinking of that moment when we get to this later in the episode. Danny finally gives in to, I guess, latent era appropriate homophobia or whatever it is and starts to try to dance when Ed is going to walk up and say, what the hell are you idiots doing? Let's go. The boss's office is over here. And in case the cringe wasn't high enough yet, Mike is going to stumble across cigarette vendor Sarasvati, who, upon learning she's Indian, temporarily renames her Pocahontas. Yeah, that uh, I was not ready for. I forgot about the wrong Indian bit, a a true classic, if ever there was one. (laughs) Yikes. I mean, that one was. I will say her handling of it was pretty hilarious. Uh, you got to figure that in that era, that was probably a conversation she had twice a week. I'm not even sure how much it's era appropriate because the delivery from Lakshmi suggests that she, the actor, has had some experience with Indian on Indian racism and is like, there's some stank on that. She's like, no, <laughs> no, no. None of this fucking moccasins horseshit, Mike. Get it together. Uh, did did not seem to enjoy it. That's certainly for sure. 
But either way, Ed is going to sneak into the employees only office and he's going to walk in on the current boss, Mr. Collette, hooking up with his secretary, Betty. Uh, Mr. Collette, you may recognize as Mel from The Sopranos. There, We're going to get a lot of recognizable faces today. It's, a, it's a good episode for bit parts. For sure. Anyway, Colette knows full well who Ed is once he introduces himself and asks how the guys in Chicago are, which confirms what you probably assumed from the jump of this episode that Ed, Mike, and Danny are mobbed up in the 60s universe. Yeah, he thinks he's going to get away with it, extending some courtesy to his connected visitors. But what he's actually going to give is control over the hotel and casino. Whoopsies. Yeah, we got a little uh, little power play. It seems that the Kansas City contingent is the preferred family around here, but Chicago is making inroads through none other than our friends Ed, Danny, and Mike. And on a personal note, seeing as I hate both Kansas City and Chicago, could not possibly care less who controls the Jubilee. I'm rooting for the asteroid. I was going to say, you're just rooting for anything else. Correct. Outside Lester's office, Danny makes the acquaintance of a dolled up Samantha, who is a freelancer, occasionally working at the Jubilee. Additional parallels to the real Sam include the fact that she knows everything about everybody, namely who Danny is, and the fact that he's taking over the Jubilee. The casual viewer would be forgiven thinking, oh, is she a 1960s era casino host? No, listener, she is not. No, hearkening back to our pilot, she is taking Mary's job in this role. She is a good old-fashioned call girl. Which, do we think Danny knows that yet? I don't think he does. Yes, I think he does. You think he already knows that she's a working girl? I think it becomes very obvious very quickly. Okay. Well, while this is happening, Ed has called the Gaming Commission to stage a shutdown of the Jubilee in an effort to strong arm Lester, a thermonuclear move that works instantly. Lester provides 0.0% pushback. Yeah, Colette tried to uh, to balk off and Ed said, okay, okay, sure. And within uh, six minutes, the gaming commission has come and shut down the casino and all Lester's like, okay, I tap, you win. Good, good game, both teams played hard. It cannot be said that I did not try to uh, to put up a fight, but yeah, I'm out of my league here. I was bewildered at the fact that the Gaming Commission comes in, announces gaming license has been pulled. Everyone get the fuck out. And everyone looks up and is like, meh, uh, press my hard ways. <laughs> like, there is no discernible change in the activity on the casino floor. Well, let let me offer this to you as a hypothetical. We're at a hot craps table and you start hearing commotion of gaming commission here. Are you slowing down? No, you're going until they physically come and put the like red tape sticker that says this table is shut down. I'm I'm going to need to see hardware in the form of many guns before I consider the prospect of walk away from a heater. Uh, maybe like two, a couple guns. Yeah. I mean, presumably if there's two, there are many. I don't. They're not like flashing like pieces in their like shoulder holster. <laughs> Touche. Fair enough. At some point, they're coming up to us and being like, gentlemen, you must stop. You were throwing dice at an empty table at this point. You boy, you boys got to go. Uh, who's going to color me up, though? That's my first question. 
Like, this is all still valid, right? The cage is still open. That is just money changing hands. That's not gaming. So presumably you're still good. The color up, uh, you're going to have to take the smaller chips. <laughs> Imagine strolling up to the cage. You're 85th in line because everyone's trying to get their money out. And you've got like a wad, like just a mound of sweaty nickels and singles from the crap stable, like in the front of your shirt. You're holding out like a fucking 12 year old at a buffet. Like, uh, yeah, just going to dump these out there. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, weird thing happened. The table got closed on me. Yeah, you're trick or treating and your bag is full. So you're now just holding it in your shirt. Somebody comes along, just like pops in inside of your shirt. <laughs> no, my money, <laughs> my money's. Lester must have known that he had some skeletons in his closet because the way he folds so quickly, he's like, no, nah, I'm not taking this on with the gaming commission. Fuck it. I lose. Well, again, you know, during the conversation, the initial conversation with Ed, Lester mentions his boys in Kansas City. So he he knows how the game works. And he has to figure that if Ed was able to get the gaming commission in on this that quickly, that there is a power shift in play and this is way above his pay grade. He's going to let the families figure this one out. He's not putting himself in the middle. But it's his name, literally his name. It's the full name of the hotel and casino is Lester Collette's The Jubilee. And he walks away from that in a hurry. He doesn't. Well, you know, he doesn't necessarily walk away. He's he's going to be partners with Ed on this. Ed's Ed's divvying out the jobs and explaining how things are going to go. As the gaming commission is running around shutting tables down, Danny says, hey, we want 100 grand. Ed then introduces Danny and Mike to all less. And Mike clarifies that's 100,000 a week, not a month, partner. Lester's shocked. He says, dude, how if you skim that much, you're going to kill the joint. There's no way we make that. Ed's like, no, it's simple. We just got to double the gaming revenue. We're going to do a little reorganization of the old org chart. You and I know how much fun the org chart is at this place, but we have it well established here. Danny's going to take restaurants, bars, entertainment. Mike's going to take security. Ed's going to be at the top, president of operations. Let me ask you real quick. How much of Danny's choice of bars, restaurants, and entertainment is motivated by the fact that Sam is currently sitting at the bar. Ninety nine and a half percent. I was going to say ninety five percent. Yeah, a lot. Because he definitely lingered on bars before getting to the rest of it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I probably need more than just that, right?" Bars, whores, <laughs> alcohol, venue. Uh, what else is there here? Drink drinking establishments, places where they serve beer. Uh, watering holes. Mike, help me out here. What else should I be asking for? <laughs> Did I mention sex workers? Yeah, definitely want those. those. Good news is, Oles, he's not getting left out for dry. No, he's not in the cold. No, he's now going to be in charge of the complaint department. He's going to take care of whatever issues might pop up. And I have a suspicion there might be a few issues. There might be. But with that casual little reorg, we're going to go to the intro and same song, but they do an awesome, cool new intro with like 60s era Vegas shots. That is, it is really dope an amazing recut. And I know that we only get this one, but it reminded me a lot of when Psych would recut their credits for like special things like, you know, themed episodes or what have you. And I was thinking, damn, this is really good. This is better than the baseline one. 
Yeah, one of my favorite things TV sh- is when TV shows will do custom intro credit scenes for specific episodes. Community was always really good at it. Yep. You typically get like one, maybe two a season. Uh, like you said, Psych was always great at it. It's always a fun little touch. The fellows go to the diner at the Jubilee to grab some food, and they're nearly waited on by Mary before the manager comes up and interrupts her. You see, the manager's played by Dean Norris, a character actor who's always playing assholes or asshole-adjacent people, so you know there's going to be a problem. Yeah, most most well-known, I would say, is Hank from Breaking Bad. Also, the only person that has appeared in this episode that I have drank at the backer with. Really? Yeah, I have a video on my phone of a very inebriated Dean Norris singing the Notre Dame fight song at 3 a.m. at the wonderful institution that is the backer. Huh. I think I can say with high level of confidence that the backer is the only place where the floor is so sticky that I literally stepped out of a shoe. It is. It is up there. There's no doubt that it is on the list. It is the stickiest floor of all time. It's it is a gross, disgusting place that is arguably the happiest on Earth. One of my favorite places in the world. Can you imagine the backer in the COVID era? Oh, my God. I mean, honestly, I think the existing grossness probably overpowers COVID. Like COVID can't even hang there. It it cannot survive. The Petri dish is too crowded. It, It shows up at HPV's like, brother, get in line, man. No room at this end. I, no joke, had one of my buddies from college, like, expressed a little bit of vaccine hesitancy at, like, early on. I was like, dude, think of what we did at the backer. He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're really worried about what scientists put in a fucking shot? He's like, well, shit, you put it that way. That's a a really good point. I was like, yeah, come on, man. The backer, (laughs) saving lives since the year of our Lord, 2020. I think it still has a lot of minus on the ledger. It's got to overcome. I mean, yeah, that's that's probably true. Turns out this diner has a pretty shitty policy in place. Apparently Mary doesn't remember. We don't serve Negroes. But that policy is about to change because Big Ed's going to walk the manager over to an yet uncleared table, shove the manager's face into a bowl of partially eaten chili, and then dump coffee on the back of his head before firing him and give him a C-note for his troubles. Yeah, a, a nice little uh, gut sucker punch there from from Big Ed to weaken young Ray, as we will learn his name to be. But yeah, that's about as unceremonious of a firing as he can get. At least got 100 for his troubles, but that uh, that did not seem like a fun one. Presumably because the customers have been gone for a while, Ed knows that the coffee is cold. But this could have been some serious burn damage to the back of Ray's bald head. I I do not think that Ed was concerned about the temperature of the coffee. No, but I'm saying that could have been really gross. Chili oh, in the yeah. front, chili in the back. Mm. Could have been. Could have not been a fun time. Already wasn't a fun time. We know Delinda's in the house because our camera cuts to a bellhop wheeling in six suitcases through the lobby, four of which are hot pink. And sure enough, here she is. Name dropping her father within 10 seconds of being on the property, noting that she intends to try out to become a showgirl for reasons. Yeah, that seems like it would be beneath her since she is here saying, yeah, my daddy now runs the joint. I'm moving in. And also, I want to be a showgirl. I want an entry level entertainment position. 
What? Uh, seems odd, but okay. Everyone's got to be somewhere, I guess. I guess. We'll go back to the diners. Mary's getting off her shift, and Danny has clearly been waiting there for her to come out. I believe the word you're looking for is ambush. Yeah, I'd say that would fairly apply here. Mere ambush, our textbook response is always to assault through the objective. And we're once again going to go back to it. He asks if Mary knows how to do the twist. Mary incredulously says, the twist? And a dude at the jukebox hears her and says, hey, great idea, doll. Let's hear it. And fires it up. And now Mary is going to try to teach Danny how to do the twist. I just have a quick note for the writer's room. If you're doing a 60s period piece and you've got a jukebox and somebody doesn't start the jukebox by just hitting it, you have fucked up. Because I don't think a ton of people pick up on the Happy Days reference, but it costs you nothing. And if it works, it is is free humor. It's just right there. Uh, You're not wrong. And I cannot tell you how many bars I've been kicked out of for punching a touch tunes. It does not work in the modern era. No. Although I've I've been in many bars where I wanted to punch the touch tunes because I feel like the split on touch tunes is 30% songs people want to hear and 70% auditory terrorism. Uh, yes. And I will say that courtesy of friend of the pod, Brandon, I have a weapon that I like to deploy in the act of auditory terrorism. Mm-hmm. It is cantina music. The most likely cantina music. By strong. That's a strong play. And it goes on for an eternity. Isn't it like eight minutes long? It's long. It's it, It's got some friction on. Yeah, The uh, once they added the ability to do touch tunes as an app and not geolocated, you don't have to be in the place where it is. That was a that was a genius move on their part because the trolling factor just went up by a billion. I have never felt in someone's face the need to leave a bar quicker than one time in New Orleans. Brandon had thrown on cantina music the first time and they thought it was like the crowd thought it was funny, then got annoyed, then got funny again. And then he queued it up again and was like, (laughs) we need to leave right now. (laughs) Exceptional play. It was very good. And I have shamelessly ripped that off ever since. It, but you gave the proper homage. I mean, look, a, a good bit's a good bit. Yeah. And look, if you if you want out of this, you just got to pay up to jump me in line. You can put an end to this. Otherwise, the, the tools you might are at get, your disposal. Otherwise, you might get back to back cantina. I don't know. I don't know. The double most Isley. That's the title of my sex tape. No, the wretched scum or the wretched hive of scum and villainy is the title of your sex tape. How, wait, how are you taking... A self-deprecating joke and then doubling down and throwing it back in my face. Is that not allowed? I mean, it, it's a podcast. It's, it's <laughs> just this side of Outback Steakhouse. There are no rules, but it felt hurtful. Also, if one of us wins, everybody gets a free Bloomin' Onion. And if the other wins, they get free Coconut Trip. Yeah. Whichever one of us is on Coconut Trip has to take the dive. <laughs> oh, I'm Team Bloomin' Onion. Of course. I hate Bloomin' Onions. Of course you do. You hate everything that's good in this world. No, I just hate onions. The like it is a coconut the coconut shrimp are bad. There needs to be a better other option. Like throw the cheese fries in there or something. I'm just saying, if you're in an outback steakhouse and you're ordering shrimp, your life has come off the rails. You've chosen poorly. Outback Steakhouse Extreme. Punish your toilet. 
So after this cutesy bullshit about the twist and Mary's correct resumption that Danny has no idea what the fuck to do with it, they step outside where Danny makes his pitch. Here's the deal. I want to fuck you. And since I just fired that manager, what if I promote you to manager and uh, I don't know, give you a raise? Because apparently I don't know how money works in the mafia. Just yeah, you'll make enough. Yeah, it's not his money. And clearly he has never cashed a paycheck in his life. He has no concept for what's required. When she's like, I don't know, I make pretty good money. He's like, uh, we'll just make more money. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll have a I'll have a numbers guy. Don't worry about it. Mary finally agrees. And Danny goes, great toots, gives her the old ass slap and says, let me give you a ride home. Oh, and then once we're in the car, maybe also dinner? A little close to the sun, though. She's going to shut that one down in a hurry, saying she'd rather watch a network medical procedural than have dinner with him. The I, I did enjoy that she said she was busy, so couldn't do it tonight. And Danny called out, so what show is it? And just guessed wrong. How long is it until they're scattering ashes out the back of this classic convertible? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know how popular cremation was in the 60s. So I just uh, and that's my fault. I don't I just am not aware. So but I would think not not that big. Well, cremation, not cremation, popularity, notwithstanding. The bigger issue is that they don't have their long lost third brother somewhere in the episode. Right. Everyone knows that Greg was the younger brother, so he wouldn't have been born yet. And if this were in the 70s, maybe we got a shot. There you go. Little Greggy falls in the well to get old Yeller to help. (laughs) Do you mean Lassie? Sure. (laughs) One of those dogs. Noted noted dog enthusiast Eddie Mack coming (laughs) off the turnbuckle. They all look the same. How dare you, sir? My apologies to any dogs listening that are offended. (coughs) On the casino floor, Mike is on the prowl looking for cheaters. Clocks a pair of guys who are running a pass posting scheme, but he doesn't realize it yet. And Delinda will get to this later, but a quick primer. Pass posting is just the act of betting after you know the result. Originally, it was a horse racing thing. But in this instance, they bet 10 bucks on red or black. If their color hits. Some guy steps in, swaps out chips for 105 bucks instead of 10. And this is why in actual casinos, if they see a big denomination chip underneath, they will rake the top chips over a little bit so that the cameras can say, hey, we got big money out here. And also why they will loudly announce if big denomination chips are in play, because this very reason. Yeah, we uh, we learned that in real time at a casino, thinking that, you know, you stack your big below your small which because that's just what you do yeah but and you turns do out, but yeah do it better yeah and they were like well that's fine but we want to know we're like oh oh yeah that makes a lot of sense also i think we were probably doing like 30 and stacking a nickel on top of a quarter 100 percent. like what d-bag in the i i couldn't be a criminal that pass posted because i could not stand there with a straight face and be like yes I intended to bet $105. at such a normal human bet to make. <laughs> what? True. True. I just, I, I would crack. A, I'm sorry. You caught me. Uh, me and that guy over there, we're past posting. Sorry. I thought I GGs. could do it. I'm, I can't. I'm ahead. I just want to see if I could. You keep this. We'll call it even. 
Mike's got a quick confab with his crack staff of Renicops, led by Detective Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he's going to go surveil the guy that just collected the money. He's not sure what's up. Hasn't figured out that he's cheating. He just knows something suspicious because one guy placed the bet and another guy collected it. And by surveil, Mike means pull the guy's car up at the valet, wait till he comes around, punch him in the gut, and then blacklist him from the casino. It's kind of like surveillance. I mean, you know, it's divide and conquer. You take one of the gingers out of the equation, say don't ever come back. The other doesn't know that. And seemingly they don't talk in the interim ever, weirdly. Well, I think ginger meetings are only once a week. And so they haven't had time to Mm. get together. Touche. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, but if this had been just two days prior, would have been at the weekly ginger meeting and he would have known. Mm. Timing is everything. Well, in the 60s, yeah, there's no text messaging. There's no email. So you rely on people being where they said they'd be at a specific time. Yeah. Phone trees are such a hassle to set up. God, I remember fucking phone trees from corporate America. Jesus Christ. Holy hell. We had, we had fucking phone tree drills that made me want to gouge my eyes out. Ugh. They'd be like, at some point in the next 48 hours, we're going to conduct a test of the phone tree. And you'd get a call from someone who's like, yeah, it's the fucking test. Can you call the next person on the list and tell them that like the password is donuts and the last person on the list had to call the first person. And if the first person, like the organizer, got the password, then everyone got donuts the next day. Why wouldn't you just look at the list and call the last person and say, yo, just call this bitch back and say it's donuts? <laughs> because they treated it like it's fucking nuclear missile codes. <laughs> you only knew the person above and below you in the tree. Oh, you, you didn't get the full org. No, you, you knew uh, above you and two below you. So that if you couldn't get a hold of the person below you, you left a voicemail and then called two ahead. And then at that point, the tree just goes to shit. Good Lord. I mean, it's corporate America. What'd you expect? Logic? I, that's fair. Fair. I just wish that they had like, that issued us like, uh, like rotating, you know, this thing, like the and little, a beautiful mind. Yes. And so it's like, you'd press it. I was like, today you're calling Howard in accounting. <laughs> hey, Howard, it's Johnson. Who the fuck is this? I don't know. I got you off the random generator. It's a little intrigue for you. Yeah. Today's passphrase is donuts. God, now I want a fucking donut. Reminder, use code donuts at potatthemontecito.com for nothing. Now we're selling stuff? Do we get in the merch business? I mean, I've been waiting for Deb to spin this shit up. Figure by now she's got to have something ready to go. So what does donuts get you? 10% off maybe? Free shipping? Something like that? Uh, a donut sticker with our faces on it. That's just another free merch idea you're giving out for nothing. Deb, spin it up. Welcome back to the pod, Deb. It's been a while. It has been a while. We've been lacking good merch ideas. Or just realized it's a dumb bit. One of the two. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, it's both. <laughs> Coming out of commercials, Big Ed has caught wind of his daughter trying out to be a showgirl. And by all accounts, doing a good job of it. But he will not tolerate that. So in an attempt to put her back in the era appropriate box that he feels she came in, he talks her to opening up a dress shop at the Jubilee. Like that got away from him in a hurry. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he talked her into it. It, it no, spun. No, he talked himself into it in an attempt to corral her. He ended up in a arguably much worse situation. It definitely spun out on him. But yeah, Delinda is now going to be opening up a dress shop at the Jubilee. <clears throat> 
I will say this makes complete sense because if the Jubilee is the 60s analog for the Montecito, we need the off maligned gift shop because it's a integral part of the plot in many, many episodes. I mean, a good 30% of the episodes. If you don't have a dress shop, how are you going to shove shit down the front of your pants? You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's why we have dresses, is it not? Yeah, I think so. I was really hoping I was going to come up with something better, and it just it didn't materialize, man. You know what? No, that joke is perfect as it is. <laughs> Danny's going to find Sam back at the bar, and Sam says, look, I like it here at the Jubilee. The clients are rich. Danny says, well, I'm not rich, but could you like me? Wink. Sam says she sure could. She knows she needs to be on Danny's good side. And hey, I bet you got a suite, don't you? Danny shows her a key, a little smile from both. And if it wasn't clear before, Danny is very obviously aware of her profession now. Yeah, now, now it is obvious that she is a working girl. There, there is no mistaking that. The, oh, I bet you got a suite, don't you? Really tips her hand there pretty good. Yeah. Out at the pool, Ed finds Lester molesting another young woman, not Betty anymore. And he is desperately trying to spin his devotion to a good thing. Talking to Ed about like this frees me up for activities and, you know, the town was getting so big and this is great news for me. But hey, I'm glad you're here. I need to introduce you to the concept of glad handing high rollers. Walks Big Ed over to a guy named Randall James, a whale who dropped 80 grand at the craps table last time he was in town. And in 60s money, that is some serious change. I mean, they... Hell, the Montecito now would be happy to get somebody dropping 80K, I feel yeah. like. so. I mean, apparently if you drop five grand, that's enough to threaten Sam with taking your business elsewhere. So I'm going across the street to the airport and getting back on my Southwest plane and flying home like the sad piece of shit that I am. But enough about our last trip. <laughs> Mr. James has a request on the behalf of his son, Randall Jr., who just turned 21 that very day. What a day. You see, old Randy's a virgin. And Big Randy finds that unacceptable. Mm. I ask you, what better way to tell your son that you're catastrophically disappointed in him than to tell a stranger about the situation and ask that that stranger arrange a hooker for you? Like, that's just really the best way to tell your son, go fuck yourself. I mean, I can think of a lot of worse ways. It's, it's That's pretty bad. But I mean, it ends well, so I'm just saying there are a lot of worse ways. It's pretty bad. I'm, I'm, I'm on team pretty bad. Not wrong. But you're, you're going to stick to your team. There are worse ways. 100%. All right. Well, uh, exercise for the listener. At Montecito Pod, worse ways if you're rich to tell your 21-year-old virgin son that you hate him. We look forward to reading your responses. At Montecito Pod on Twitter. Thanks and thanks very much in advance. There it is. Got it in two. Uh, let's get ready to swallow. We go back to Mike and Danny talking with our old friend Scully about the gambling shenanigans <clears throat> and the guy dropping off newspapers is going to say, "Huh, sounds a lot like pass posting." What's up, security Greg? Mike? No. Danny? Nope. Scully? Sure as shit not. Nobody knows what's going on. And as they talk like a bunch of confused idiots, Delinda is helpfully going to inform all of us just what pass posting is. 
the fact that this term of art catches all three professionals off guard, but newsstand Greg is able to drop it and bounce without anyone noticing anything or being like, hey, go grab that guy when Toots over here declines the job offer. What a mistake. Yeah. I mean, they're not professional casino men. They are. I mean, Scully is. Well, Scully's a cop. He's just a mm, shitty security a casino guard. cop. He's and a shitty one. I mean, we, we've seen plenty of that on this show, so that that holds true through time. If he were in the modern era, he would have the biggest of big collars. Uh, I mean, Brian Colangelo would be jealous. It would it would be he might if a, a good wind kicks up, we're getting our Bernoulli principal back in play and <laughs> a, a large man may be able to make a, a big leap. That's the day Danny offers Belinda a job surveillance. Get, I guess not knowing who she is, doesn't realize that she's Ed's daughter. Which I guess it seems like Ed's been trying to keep her away and not sure why she is here and not at home. So I guess it's possible they've never met. Either way, she declines because, you know, dress shop, bigger fish to fry. Danny hustles off to his suite, strips down, lies under the covers, awaits a scantily clad Sam who hops up on top of him and pulls her shirt down. Good job, Danny. (laughs) Yeah, no notes, 10 of 10. Would recommend. This was so similar to how the pilot started that I went back and watched that, wondering if we got the same Danny looking upwards to count his blessings. But in fact, the Danny looking up in the pilot is after Delinda reveals that she's Big Ed's father and he looks up to say, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. But is there a greater start to a show in the history of television? Because rewatching the cold open of the pilot made me want to sit down and watch the entire pilot. It's a it is a extremely strong cold open. Hi, Daddy. Lester barges into Ed's office. He's got more complaints. He's completely misread the room. Ed was trying to marginalize him. And Lester's like, oh, complaint department on it, boss. And he's going to further misread the room after Ed says, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're too good for complaints. We need non gaming revenue. Take two weeks. Take a month. I don't care. Just leave me the fuck alone. And pick up on what I'm putting down. Didn't work. I I am shocked at Ed's restraint. Uh, you know, Ed just rolled into town. He's got bigger fish to fry. He just needs this guy to go away. Figures, especially after the last conversation, that Les is going to be more than happy to take the two weeks to a month. Surely this will be the last time in the episode we see him. Narrator, it is not. No. Back to a much more fun rendezvous. We're back in Danny's room where he and Sam are just having a good old time when sadly Ed is once again going to interrupt young Daniel's fun with a phone call. The phone call cannot come at a worse time because it's Big Ed having gotten Sam's name from Lester, wants to hire her for a first timer. And with her eyes set on the $500 that that would entail, Sam is feeling more than a little randy. God damn it. Remember that feeling that you were talking about earlier? (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. How do you sleep at night? (laughs) You're so proud of yourself. You look like the fucking meme pic of the dog with the big ass, the like wolf looking husky dog. Like that's you right now. Fucking monster. I texted you earlier with a scripted joke alert. They they almost always pain me emotionally, and this this one did. That was bad, dude. You are welcome. So yeah, Sam's out of there. She's gonna leave Danny high and dry, as it were, 
and run off to a paying customer. But not before. I'll take care of you. Just not right now. I got to stay fresh for my first timer. Yeah, but she's not going to get out of there before Danny is once again going to ask about the twist. And what a bizarre. Hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. She's like, yeah, what's up? You know the twist, right? What the fuck? Yeah. Dipshit. What are you, a poindexter? Which I wish that would make a comeback. I've been, I've been trying to bring back Dweeb lately because it's a fun How's one. How's that going? Uh, it's going all right. It usually gets gets a good reaction. Have you noticed anyone using it but you? I've seen a few. Okay. I don't think related to me. I just think it might be back on an upswing. Just re-entering the cultural zeitgeist? Yeah. I don't know about Poindexter, though. That's that's a tough one. I don't think it... I think Sam's got to stop trying to make Poindexter a thing. Yeah. I mean, I if if she told me that she wanted me to start saying it, I would give it a go, but... You would do basically anything for her. There's a lot. But I won't do that. This was a, obviously another parallel to when Danny got a call banging your girl Shelly in season one pros and cons where he's like, yep, yeah, no, I know about it. Oh, yeah, it's I'm, yeah, it's, I'm on it's, top of it. Yep, I'm inside of it. Womp womp. <laughs> I hate my life. The yeah, the Sam Marquez. Uh huh. Yeah, no, I think I can find her was a, a very good callback to that. We go back to Ed's office and the gaming commission guy is there. He's he's here for his payoff. Ed's going to throw him five large, says, thanks. G- great doing business with you. Look forward to a lovely relationship. And our gaming commission guy goes, yeah, about that. You know, we like to keep the peace. If everybody's happy, we all make more money. That's what we're here for, right? It's like, uh-huh, go on. Well, I heard you uh, fired Ray from the diner. Ed's like, what, the racist piece of shit? Yeah, who gives a shit? So, uh, turns out his brother is old Kansas City Tony. It's like, oh, fuck, Kansas City Tony, huh? Mobbed up. All right. Gabagool. <laughs> it's a spicy meatball because it turns out the Kansas City boys have sent some lieutenants to town. They're posted up at a little Italian joint a couple blocks over. Might want to bring them back before it goes to the family keep a little peace huh i thought for sure that big ed was gonna tell him to fuck himself because the way he sits back in his chair he's he's got these strong robert de niro and casino vibes of the this i cannot do like this this is a bridge too far i couldn't tell if it was that or the lean back was so similar to how the scene started if he was gonna toss him another stack for the heads up ah uh, I, I thought very much it was a this is this I cannot do. I, makes perfect sense. Turns out it was neither of them. Yeah, because at the same time, Danny clocks a clearly flustered Mary who lets on that she got a threatening call last night that Mary somehow successfully downplays because 1960s Danny is just as dumb and clueless as 2000s Danny. And and Mary seems relative like she's like, yeah, it's probably Ray being a dickhead. I think he was just trying to scare me and he's an asshole, so whatever. But, you know, I I didn't even need to bother you with this. Which, here's the thing. I find credible, but for the fact that Danny is himself connected. Right. And I feel like, you know, what, Danny's probably the mafia equivalent of a lieutenant, maybe a capo. That sounds about right. There's no way, no way he's tolerating one of his employees getting threatened uh, especially one that he wants to fuck yeah i mean there's just no way that that mobbed up 
Danny's like, yeah, all right, well, we won't worry about it for now. What we're going to get to the same place, but would have loved to have seen Josh get a chance to break out his James Con and just, you know, slip into a little bit of like, oh, hey, whoa, hey, oh, they're coming for you. They're, these guys are coming for you. OK, all right. You know, just a little bit. Let my boy off the leash. Let him cook. I completely agree. That would have been fantastic. And maybe he could have said gabagool. Gabagool. Everybody needs a little gabagool. Go for some fucking gabagool right now. Goddamn. Unfortunately, Mike's not done being racist. He is trotting out all of the cliche information he knows about India in an attempt to pick up Sarasvati. And I think would go full blown racist again. But for the fact that he clocks one of the cheaters, I was like, oh, got to go. Yeah, this was a we just ran out of time. We didn't lose like it's <laughs> a little a little more time on that clock. And and a very unfortunate accent is going to get busted out. Oh, my God, you're 100 percent correct. That is exactly where that was going. It would have been God and it would have been amazing. too. <laughs> oh, no, it would have been it would have been straight like Apu levels of terrible. Yeah, it would have uh. been great. But we see the other past poster and he's going to wave over to Scully, who is going to literally spin move over the dude at the craps table <laughs> to run to Mike. It would have been much quicker to just go the other side of the table, my dude. Well, he's practicing his moves. And Lord knows he needs it. Sometimes you swim. Sometimes you spin. Sometimes you just got to bull rush the guy at the craps table. Got to keep him guessing. Well, that's true. And I... I mean, if you told me this was in-universe Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I would 100% believe it because it is the exact same dude. 100%. 100%. So Mike and Scully are going to go up into the rafters with some binox, the literal eye in the sky before there were security cameras, and they just watch the guy win repeatedly over and over again. No signs of funny business, but for the fact that the chip stacks keep growing and Mike is incensed. And Scully's like, maybe, hear me out. Maybe a guy just has a knack for knowing when to bet big. Did you think of that? I seen it. My, my mom has seen it. Come on, man. This could be a thing. And and while he's not wrong, Mike does remind him that he is an asshole and that he should shut the fuck up because Mike would like to find out what he's doing so that they can watch out for it in the future. Yeah. So they're going to stay on station until they figure out how they do it. While Ed has decided, all right, I'm going to have to let racist Ray back. Danny's not happy, but he says, don't worry. We'll talk to him. Transfer Mary to someplace else within the organization so she doesn't have to deal with them. It's going to be fine. But before they can linger for too long in that annoyance, Lester's back. He's already sourced a possible new source for non-gaming revenue following Ed's instructions. He's joined by a woman named Lorraine and presumably a medical doctor named Miles Mellon. And Dr. Mellon, as we will soon learn, has the exclusive rights to conduct breast augmentation services in Las Vegas. A brand new technology that he claims will make the world a more miraculous place. As demonstrated by Lorraine, who takes her top off, unsnap, unhooks her bra, and shows off the goods to Danny and Big Ed. Danny seems very impressed. I know that you enjoyed this scene, not because they showed us anything on the uncut, uncensored. It was PG-13 at, at worst, mm -hmm. but instead because it gives us a new drop for whatever there's nominative determinism on the show, because the guy goes, who'd have thought my name would be my destiny? It was phenomenal. 
I love I I you are correct. I loved everything about this scene, but Dr. Melon making fake melons is just mwah, chef's kiss, god tier level nominative determinism. One of my favorite things in the world. Ed's like, hey, the headlights are great, but explain to me the non-gaming revenue angle here. A fair question. Dr. Bellin says, hey, here's the deal. For every showgirl that you refer to me for breast augmentation, I'm going to give you 100 US dollars. <whistles> the guy does some quick math. Hey, Dave, how many showgirls we got? 18? Yeah. Uh, that's not going to move the needle, buddy. Yeah. We're trying to make 100 grand a week here. And you're coming at me with an $1,800 one-off? Come on. But it uh, once again, showing great restraint, just grabs Lester by the old neck, says, come over here. Here's the thing. Love but, where your but head's in at. A calm, in a calm and, and oh, a loving yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Love where your head's at. But uh, it's a little low. We're, we're looking for a little higher. But, but good thinking, here's what we're going to do. We're opening up a new dress shop. My daughter's running it. Not a lot of business experience. How about you help her run it, help her get it up and going. Don't come back to me. Leave me out of it, please. Do not come back. Just go help her out. It'll be great. Ed does a lot of questionable shit, both in the 1960s and in the modern era. Fair. However, sicking this philandering sleazeball on his own goddamn daughter is unconscionably bad. He's never not seen this guy in a lecherous setting, maybe one time. Otherwise, it's molesting a secretary, molesting a stranger by the pool, showing off a boob job. Like, your your note is, hey, go hang out with my daughter? Doesn't seem like a great play. He's, you can tell the stack rank for Ed at this moment is, get this guy the fuck out of my life. Everything Everything else else. (laughs) than my daughter. And, And we know he doesn't really want his daughter there, so maybe there's a back of the head thinking, okay, if he creeps her out enough, she'll want to leave Las Vegas. Angle, or I'll have but, an excuse to actually bury Lester. I don't know. Yeah, but it is it is very clearly a one note. God, just how do I get this guy away from me? I mean, we've had bad boss Ed. This is bad dad Ed. And it's the worst dad he'll ever be, I think. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, the shit with Nessa and the fact that she's probably KIA at this point, still better than the dress shop thing. Correct. Sam finds her way up to Randy Jr.'s room where he's getting cold feet about the whole sleeping with a prostitute thing. She's shockingly cool about it, presumably because she's still going to get paid. She says, don't worry about it. I'll talk to Randy Sr. later. In the meantime, let me show you what it's like to be a a real adult by teaching you boring ass gin rummy. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Gin is about the only good two player card game there is. But if you told me I had 45 minutes in a hotel room with Sam and the outcome is I learned gin rummy. Yikes. That is a mistake I'm going to live with the rest of my life. Yeah, you're you're chalking an L there. Yeah. I mean, almost anything else is better. Like, hey, I get that we're not going to fuck, but can you give me tips? Like, spend 45 minutes on, cool, teach me how to pick up women. Yeah, he, he his hesitancy is not like he doesn't want to have sex. He's like, he's he wants his first time to be special, which, hey, yeah. good for you, Randy Jr. That's fine and good. But I mean, hey. There, there is a very educational opportunity here for you, right? In fact, I'm kind of surprised that that's not like a thing that I mean, maybe it is that people do. It's like, hey, I'm not hiring you for the sex. 
but you're a hot woman and I'm sure people hit on all the time. What works and what doesn't? <laughs> Let me get some. Thanks for letting me come to your TED talk. <laughs> Let me get some tips. Yeah, I mean, you know, let me work on my game. Like, let's let me get some notes. Why don't you lecture for 15 Q&A for 15 Little and then 15 minutes the of role play? Yeah, there you like, go. <laughs> and then slap all the ass, get out there and, and win it on the field. Everyone's a winner. Turns out, no, they're just going to play cards and we're going to go back to the casino. And OK, things have taken a turn. Mary's a little rattled now. She runs up to Danny and goes, look, somebody broke into my place, fucked everything up and they left a note that says, if Ray doesn't get his job back, I'm the one that gets busted up next. Appropriately rattled, I would say. Yeah, it, it turns out that the the gears of Mafia Connections weren't turning quickly enough for, for old racist Ray and his crew. So Danny's going to go grab him. Ed says, go find him. Tell him we want him back. We just need to have a little chit chat first. And, and at that point, Danny's like, oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. We're going to have a conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now you're speaking my language. Sam finds Mr. James at the craps table, spins a nice story about how great in the sack his son was. <laughs> not only should you not pay me, I should be paying you. Guy's a real stickman. And instead of taking his <laughs> money back, Reynolds says, hey, you know, it'd be cool if I fucked the girl that my son just fucked. That'd be pretty. That'd be pretty fun. And this is a proposition that both Sam and at least one of your co-hosts finds repulsive. Extremely gross. And, yeah, and both of your co-hosts. Yeah. And Sam is like, actually, um, I think it'd be kind of sick. And Randall's response is, no, it'll be something great for us to bond over being not only father and son, but Eskimo brothers. What a weird, gross. I mean, I cannot even imagine no, my no, reaction I, uh -uh, if no. my dad was like, hey, hey, son, how's that first time? Yeah, I fucked her, too. What? Just you uh, did what? No, why? Why? How did she shower first? Like, what are we doing? Oh, no, it's it is extremely gross. And Sam treats it as such and goes, oh, sorry, I'm busy the rest of the night as well. I'm here all week. She goes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm busy this week. And as far as you're concerned, I'm busy forever. Gee, I wonder, will this be the last we hear from dumb dick Randy? Uh, seems unlikely. Foreshadowing happens when clues in a story hint at future events. The dress shop is having its grand opening tomorrow. Dylan is getting everything ready when Lester admits, eh, I don't know the fuck all about these dresses. And she starts running down the merch. And he says, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, whoa. I'm more of a show don't tell kind of guy. Maybe it would help if you modeled it. OK, if you insist, I'll, I'll try out all these cool dresses. No sooner does Dylan step into the dressing room than he goes into an adjacent one climbs up on a step stool and leers over the top at her. Just when you think like just having her do the fashion show is creepy enough on its own, but the over the top peeking like you're a, a weird kid in school trying to peek over the bathroom at your fucking middle school or some bullshit. Like, come on, my guy. How are you this creepy? She immediately catches him and in an attempt to not get executed by Big Ed. Lester bribes her with the promise of free labor and two front row seats to Sinatra the next night. Why in a million years would Delinda accept his offer of free labor? Yeah, Delinda's not paying that tab, so. Uh, yeah, why don't you hang out and continue to be creepy? That's cool. Doesn't seem like a great deal, but she seems very excited about the Sinatra tickets. Which, I mean, with good reason. 
in and of itself in a vacuum, yes. But slight spoiler alert, she's going to be sitting there with Ed, who as the president of the joint could probably finagle himself some seats for both he and her. So, yeah, I mean, in this era, Frankie Blue Eyes is playing, what, eight shows a week, probably. Yeah, it is not exactly a uh, a hard. It's not a rare ticket to get. Correct. Danny heads back to the casino. He finds Mike fine tuning the valet procedures, which is a fun little meta commentary on the nature of the episode where Danny's like, how do you know all this? Mike's like, I don't know. I just do. It's a good bit. Yeah. Uh, an homage to Born Identity, I think, is what they're going for there. <laughs> yeah, that's surely that's what it was. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? And while walking in, Danny sees a guy with a video camera and is on the spot inspired to invent modern surveillance techniques. I mean, sometimes inspiration strikes us in the, the weirdest of ways. But yeah, Danny has himself a, a light bulb go off. And we go back up to the rafters and set up a video camera to record everything. We don't have to sit here all day. It'll be great, though. We are going to have to get the film developed, which at first I was like, aha, that's funny. Oh, no, they're serious. Yeah, no, that is a that is a real problem that they would have had in the 60s. Weird. Like I was alive when we had to get like camera film developed, but I was never alive when we had to get video camera film developed. Correct. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a thing. OK. I mean, allegedly, I guess. I don't know. Might not be a thing. Scully hustles up to the rafters, says, uh, we got a Mr. James. He seems pretty pissed. No one can find Big Ed. And Danny's going to step in and take the bullet. Hustles down, finds out that Mr. James can't handle the fact that Sam would disrespect him and then have the audacity to hang out at the bar, a bar that he was going to drink at. I mean, it's it. He was OK with being shot down. That was one thing ish, but for her to say that she was busy and then is going to drink at the bar I wanted to drink at while also not having sex with me. How dare she? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if Mr. James can only drink at bars where there are not women who are repulsed by him, there are not many bars he can drink at. No, he's he's definitely going to be relying on the hotel mini bar in his room, which I don't think they had in the 60s. I'm surprised then that Danny doesn't invent it this episode. Because he and Mike review the camera footage, discover that the past posters have gone inverted, swapping wagers on a loss instead of on a win. And upon realizing their discovery and the fact that they've captured this on tape, they engage in a high five that confuses them both, seeing as how the high five wouldn't actually be invented until the late 70s. That's right. 1977, off credited to Dusty Baker and Glenn Burke of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Did you also visit the Wikipedia page on the high five? Uh, I don't know if it was the Wikipedia page. I was just I knew that Dusty Baker was involved, but I could not remember the specific date or who the other guy was. I'm going to need you to go to the Wikipedia article on high five right now, specifically the variation section. Oh, I bet that's awesome. It includes a frame by frame of someone doing the too slow with finger guns. <laughs> The girl looks so sad. She also looks a lot like a girl I went to college with. That's hilarious. What an amazing 
set of four photos that is <laughs> the parenthetical with finger guns at the end actually slayed me i bust out <laughs> laughing by myself earlier oh that's really good thank you wikipedia i'm 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 still not going to give you money but i'll i'll wait a little longer before closing the pop-up box this time uh, you had me actually consider it for a moment this time i made the mistake of donating my cup of coffee in like 2009 mm-hmm. they literally will not stop like you did it in 2009 why would you do it again because I was an impressionable youth back then, and now I'm a cold-hardened adult. I've learned my lesson. Leave me alone. We see Sam still drinking at the bar at the Jubilee, unconcerned about young Randall's anger. And Danny's going to come from behind to light up her cigarette, say, oh, here's the thing. Randall's, he puts a lot of money in this place. Between the two of you, sorry, you got to go. He wins. Sam says, look, I like it here. And I got... Big money clients at all the casinos. I just come here because I like it the most. What if I took all my big money cl- clients that I like to bang and bring them all to the Jubilee? Make sure they all have a good time. Wink. Danny, once again, another light bulb, just innovator of the year. It's going to go, oh, it's like a casino hostess. Wink. I'll think about that. And off Yeah, in the course of eight minutes, this guy has invented or been... A- directly in the presence of the invention of modern casino surveillance, the high five, and now casino hosting. Hell of a run for 1960s Danny. Real nice fucking set of inventions he's got going here. No patents, though. He needs to throw out the TM, TM, TM stamp, though. Yeah. And he doesn't. Not once. No, he got nothing out of any of this. A real shame. Danny reassures a beleaguered Mary that Ray is no longer a factor. And as long as we're here, any chance I can upgrade that dinner to a Sinatra show? She says, sure, I'd love to, but I can't go dressed like a diner waitress. That's preposterous. Never fear, says Danny. I'm still trying to get near pants. So why don't I buy you a dress and some shoes? And, uh, you know, we fuck after the show. Thumbs up for Mary. Yeah, free dress. That sounds great. I, I loved her hustle for the the upcharge to the shoes. Like, I mean, a dress is one thing, but I mean, come, I mean. Look at these diner pumps. You think that's going to get the job done? Mama Mama didn't raise no fool. Mary learning from the future to utilize in the past when to negotiate. But before she can do that, our past posters are back, Ed. Ruh-roh. This time, eh, we're not going to mess around. Mike and Danny are just going to grab them and backroom them. And we always heard the jokes about how the backroom in the old days worked. Well, we're in the old days. They asked the guy one time how he did the past posting. Guy says, I didn't do anything. Turns out that was a mistake because he really did only have one chance. Mike is going to hold his hand out while Danny's going to pick up a baseball bat and just crack the fuck out of it. Wow, sir. That must have hurt like a motherfucker. Yeah, that did not look like a good time. I mean, it's no ball peen hammer from Casino, but it's close. It's pretty good. Most of the crew is front row for Frankie Blue Eyes as he kicks off our Musical denouement. Ray is here. Danny had added a step away, though, real quick. Y'all just y'all keep watching the show. Frank, you keep singing. We just got to have a little quick chit chat. And everyone's sorry. Everyone got off on the wrong foot. Come on, racist Ray. Let's make amends. And I think these amends should take the form of you open up a new nightclub. We got all this land, not doing anything with it. I mean, there's an airport here, but we could build around that. It's very small. Not a lot of plants. Why don't you come out here? 
look at the site with us. Yeah, yeah, right now in the middle of the night where you can't see anything. Yeah, yeah, let's go do that. Turns out they're just going to go out to the parking lot and shoot Ray. Whoopsies. Yeah, yeah. Ray, Ray assures them that the Kansas City boys are happy. Everything's all good. Clean slate. And uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to dirty that slate up a little bit one more time, because not only are they going to just fucking put a bullet in his head in the parking lot. Danny's there waiting with the car. They're going to lug his body into the car, go to the aforementioned Italian restaurant where the KC lieutenants are posted up and just dump his carcass out front. Which strong move because everyone knows that people from Kansas City are real pieces of shit. So, you know, they're not going to do anything about that. Mm, they they did not seem to enjoy it, but we we did get a lovely right after the bullet. That's for Chicago from Big Ed. So the the Chicago Kansas City Wars will continue on, but sadly, not in a timeline we get to watch. Which, by the way, I would watch the shit out of if they scrapped the modern era and just went straight to sixties for the rest of it. I'd have been fine. Or just a a sixties Las Vegas spinoff. Yep, but. With all the core cast, they have to make two shows at once. Correct. Walking back into the casino, we time travel back to the present day. (laughs) Where it seems that only Danny's gone through the temporal adventure because he's surprised that Ed didn't walk in with them. And Mike's like, yeah, he quit. Remember, we just talked about this, you dipshit. And also the fact Danny's going to make googly eyes at Sam because she's a hooker. He's seen her titties. Sam is going to walk up and ask if Danny's to reschedule. And Danny goes six to midnight. It's like, uh-huh. Yes. Wait a minute. What did you want to reschedule? Yeah. What What did you mean? I know what I meant. What What did you mean? Yeah. Is it us fucking? Because that, yes. I have, I have a hole in my schedule anytime. <laughs> I only need about three, four minutes free whenever. We, it, it turns out in a, a fun little Easter egg just for us, the viewing audience. No, what we're actually rescheduling is the pickup of Randall the Third, her new whale who comes in and only plays cash and needs to get picked up from the airport, which was a good bit. I enjoyed that. Yeah, we know that Randy Jr. finally got his dick wet at least once. Because he waited for love. Or he adopted. I, I guess mean, that is also Awfully true. presumptive of me, but there is a Randall the Third who was apparently just as weird as his grandfather. And because we're not done with the throwbacks, Chubby Checker himself, now actual era appropriate Chubby Checker, is going to walk in because he's performing. And we overhear somebody say the twist and a dude walking by with an old school iPod cannot play music externally is going to hear, oh, the twist. I love that song. Headphones still plugged in. Click it. And then somehow the twist is going to fill the casino and everyone's going to start fucking dancing. Is it possible this guy was wearing a vest with speakers built in? Because he has like a safari vest that has two large black circles in the front pockets. And he's just a walking boombox? Correct. I I get sure. Makes more sense than it just fucking happening the way that it did. Also, this predates the streaming of music. The odds of this like... 22 year old pimply fuck having the twist on his iPod are roughly zero. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it's certainly very low. I think if you pull 500 people at random mm-hmm. and say, do you have the twist in any media form without streaming? You get 
two yeses. That's that is the exact number I was going to say. And none of them are 22 year old dudes with boombox vests. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair. I can't argue with that. No, I really can't. But yeah, we're going to dance the twist out of the episode. That's all she wrote. Ed, did you like the episode? I loved it. I mean, this is... Of course. It's one of my favorites. It's a, it's a great episode. A lot, a lot of things don't age well, but it is incredibly fun. It's very funny. Uh, I agree. Top five episode. Very fun. I love the period piece nature of it. The, the run of Danny inventing things is just very funny to me. I mean, they just dumped the entire Easter egg basket out on our heads at the end, which is whatever. I love some good fan service. It's it's such a bizarre one off episode to do like in the middle of some really big plot things going on. It's just almost like they eh. didn't know how to write around Ed quitting. They're like, we're going to need a week. Can Can we go to a bottle up? Let's let's just let's just all take a breath. So let's ratchet it on down a little bit. Have some fun. And we have to respect how expensive an episode that had to have been to make. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, typically your bottle episodes are about saving money, using existing sets, no guest stars. And they're like, no, fuck that. A lot of bit parts, a lot of speaking lines for, for guest actors, all new sets, all new costume. Fucking James has to grow a pencil mustache. Other James has to grow a Sharpie mustache. Let's do it. Let's go. And you know what? Money well spent. It ruled. But as a one-off episode, let's talk Chip Leader. Now, as a reminder, because it's been a while. And it got weird. Our current board is Delinda on, I think, like her fourth in a row. A Something, lot in a row. Yeah, at least three. It might be four. Delinda, Monica, Mary, Mike, Danny, Ed, and Sam. With Danny, Ed, and Sam as your bottom three being the weirdest bottom three of all time. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think... None of the stuff in the 60s can factor in because that's all a Danny McCoy fever dream. It's the Tina from Bob's Burgers. Non-canonical, 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 non-canonical. So I think last episode's rankings were predicated upon Mary actually keeping her job and Ed actually having quit, which this episode does affirm. At least the Ed part. Well, Mary is there at the end because she's introducing Chubby Checkers. She She is dancing, so. So I think we leave it untouched, but I think it counts as another win for Delinda. Like, I don't think the I don't think the rankings are frozen as much as they're unchanged. And I I'm I'm fine. I I think it stays. I again, I'm treating this episode as its own universe. So even the two minutes on the front, two minutes on the back, I I don't even count. But if we want to I for purposes of stat keeping, yes, it's it is a dub for Delinda. Everyone's stats are updated accordingly. I'm fine with that. The only thing I might toss out is, do we flip Sam and Ed? Sam had a really terrible run, but, you know, she's still employed and she gets to do the twist with Chubby Checkers. Big Ed does not. Uh, I mean, I don't think that even if Ed were there, he would be doing the twist with Chubby Checker. So I, I don't see that as a missed opportunity. Fair enough. Well, we'll leave it as is then. Congratulations, Delinda. You're just running up the score on these poor bastards at this point. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Monsieur McCarthy? Yes. Any advice for our audience? If you're coming in here, into my establishment. With the Gabagool. And you want to you wanna talk about Kansas City? When you come in at Chicago, Kansas City, who gives a fuck? They ain't got the Gabagool. You got to take it easy, Ray. 
Take it easy. You don't big dick Kansas City to Chicago. The old family. I mean, it ain't New York. But Chicago. <laughs> also, so, if you're so in the middle of... Also, also, if you're in the middle of seeing Frank Sinatra, maybe tell the guy you're going to shoot to just wait like 20 minutes. Like, don't show up in the middle of the concert. Again, though, not a hard ticket for Ed to get. True. You know, he could probably go back to the concert and be like, uh, Frank, can you take it from the top? Yeah, run the one back for me, would you? For Chicago. <laughs> so, to be clear, in case one day this ends up on our pot of the Montecito Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. your advice for this episode is do not come at Chicago With being Kansas. Kansas City. Correct. Okay. I think that's fair. It is actionable. Kansas City is a trash can. Fuck Kansas City. Also, so is Chicago, but slightly less of a trash can in some ways. And it's more it's of a trash can. A mo- I hate both. Again, my my advice is if you're excited about being from either Kansas City or Chicago, you're wrong. <laughs> Setting aside our Midwestern gang war, what do you have on tap for us next time, Eddie? Next time on Pod at the Montecito, bold, beautiful, and blue. Everything is shiny and bright at the Montecito when Danny and Monica work with an FBI agent to protect the priceless cashmere sapphire. And Monica tries to lure Ed back to work with a pretty new Porsche. I remember this episode well. As do I. I remember feeling like it was such an abrupt change of direction for Monica as a character that I did not like it. I love it. Really? Yes. Okay. And I thought that it was not really uh i guess there are, is a piece of it that is a change but it actually felt extremely on brand to me fair enough well perhaps i don't remember it as well as i think i do or perhaps we'll just have to hash it out next time on pod at the month every morning like a 20 percent chance every time you say next time that i'm just gonna do that i i brace myself for it every single time that, that time it procked even though it didn't count Well, thank you to everyone. I hope you enjoyed your time off. I hope you weren't too lonely without us. We're back. We're on regular service. So keep on downloading. Keep on listening. You should leave us a review. Five stars, Apple Podcasts, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. But more importantly, tell a friend. You've got all these episodes on your DVR. Maybe not right now at the peak of Omicron, but later. Invite them over. Open up a bottle of wine. Fire up some Las Vegas. And once you got your hooks in them, point them our direction. Who knows? Danny and Bumblebee did not fight Omicron for us to take this too lightly. Yes. So that's a Transformers joke. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a good one, too. I really liked that one. Thanks, bud. That wasn't at all a reach. You you really, that was just, you sat on that really good pitch and and swung the hell out of it. Gotta wait for your pitch. Speaking of waiting, uh, we're still waiting for Peacock to put the show on, on the platform. This is our year. 2022 is our year. It's coming. If not now, probably never. Yeah, are we? I guess we'll still get to 2023 with the pod, won't we? Oh, yeah. No, no, not from a podcast perspective. I mean, from a, if they've had their own captive platform for two years and won't and put still the show won't on do it. it. I know. Ugh. I, as long as we don't see Crossing Jordan on the platform, we've got a chance. Crossing Jordan pops up and Vegas isn't there. Oh, we're dead. We're screwed. That is, that is a death knell. Uh, you can gauge with us on Twitter, like I mentioned earlier, at Montecito Pod. Use the hashtag Las Vegas for Peacock. That's the number. Make sure you do not tweet at James LeSure, mm. even if it's about his pencil mustache and how you think it's cool. He does not care. He is not interested in hearing about it. 
You can also email us, pod at the Montecito at gmail.com. Eddie, help him out there. Uh, letters and then curlies. As is his want. And until next time, I've been Judd. He has been Ed. And this has been Pot at the Montecito. Yes. Sir.